is the Enter Sad Men podcast. Every rock and metal album you should own. Reviewed, rated, and ranked. Yeah, welcome along to Enter Sad Men. Podcast gold if you like your metal heavy and your rock hard. Uh, my name's Steve. With me as always, uh, Mark and Richard. Hello, boys. How are you? Evening. Good, thank you. Yeah, really good. Really good. Lovely to be here again. Good, good. Lovely to have your company as ever. Um, this is episode 29. Um, and if you've been with us before, you'll know what we do. We review three albums, each episode based on a theme, uh, which we picked the previous week, a theme decided upon by our cherished Tom Bowler, who goes by the name of, and I wish I hadn't started that sentence, Mark, who goes by the name of... The currently temporary Tom... Uh, ah. <laughs> currently temporary Tico Torres, Tom Bowler of Topics and Themes. Right. One of these days I'll remember all this. So that Tom Bowler spewed up the number well whatever it was which corresponded with the theme foreplay by which we mean an episode um, about four-legged beasts so in a nutshell three albums we've chosen one each where the band or the album or the album cover features something to do with animals that wasn't too daunting a challenge was it there's plenty of animals in rock mark aren't there yes yes and i think probably this time last week a week ago we were we were all desperately trying to avoid doing animal magnetism um which was the obvious go-to album cover wasn't it and uh, in that endeavor at least we've we've all three of us succeeded so animal magnetism by the scorpions will not be featuring on tonight's show Richard how did you get on <laughs> yeah it was tempting wasn't it looking at albums that I felt had a decent chance of a decent score uh, it did take me a while. I decided in the end to go on a, a bit of an adventure and I've uh, I've chosen an album I didn't really, I didn't know. Uh, I knew about it, but I didn't know it. I've gone for the debut album by um, a, not a massively well-known, certainly in, in, in Europe and the UK, a massively known band, uh, fairly well-known in America, a band by the name of Jackal and uh, their self-titled debut. It was uh, released in November 1992. Mark, what about you? Well, on the basis that they were never probably going to squeeze in under any other topic or theme, I went for Dizzy Dean Davidson and his bouffanted hair, compadres Brittany Fox. Okay, well, actually, by accident, we have created another theme tonight, which is eponymously titled albums, as I'm sure you've all figured out, because I'm going to complete the sweep with Faster Pussycats, debut album, Faster Pussycat. So listen, let's have a listen to all three, some clips from all three, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about them in due course. Just put your mind to take it, you don't 
Okay, so there you go. There's a few snippets of what we've been listening to these last few days. And as usual on these podcasts, we always review these albums in the order of when they were released. And that means that Steve is first to go with the debut album from Faster Pussycat. Steve, take it away. Opening album sleeve notes. Yeah, so Faster Pussycat, their debut album was released in July 1987, having been recorded in late 86 and early 87 on the Electra label signed by Electra, which was no great gamble because this was a band that, well, this was a band that looked the part. Um, they were a club scene hit in LA. Um, Electra just presumed they'd make them bucket loads of cash just as Motley Crue had and Dokken had and bands like that for Electra. So to them, this did seem like a no-brainer. And as I say, they were they had that glam rock charisma. And this was a glam rock album. The band was Tie Me Down on vocals. Yes, he's called Tie Me Down. Um, you just... He's called Tie Me Down. I mean, what else is there to say? Greg Steele and Brent Muscat were the guitarists, Eric Stacey on bass and Mark Michaels on drums. Um, the original bass player, Kelly Nichols, broke his leg in a motorcycle accident and was replaced by Eric Stacey for this album. Stacey's a great bass player. So, as I say, it took about three or four weeks to produce. They brought in a guy called Rick Browd to produce it at Amigo Studios in Hollywood. I've read a couple of great interviews with Rick Browd over the last few weeks. What a wonderfully bitter man he is. He's fantastic. Fascinating figure. Also produced Poisons, Look What the Cat Dragged In. He said... In one of these interviews, Brown said that Electra tried to drop Faster Pussycat midway through the recording of this album, but because they'd given him 50 grand up front with no strings, um, figured they had to persevere with their investment. And I think it came off. Listen, this is your archetypal late 80s LA hair glam metal band, wannabes who just did the whole excess thing. They drank to excess, took drugs to excess, stayed up late to excess, shagged to excess. They just did everything to excess. They were living the dream. They're the first to admit they weren't very talented, and anyone who's listened to the album will know it's an incredibly raw album, but it's gotten an awful lot of affection with me. I, I don't play it end-to-end. I've not played it end-to-end for Donkey's years, but tracks from this still keep popping up on Spotify playlists, and whenever they come on, I sing along because it's a sing-along album. It's a very infectious album. I certainly prefer their album, the third album, Whipped, which came out in 92. But the point is, this is the one that stands alone as fast a pussycat as they were the band that came out of LA in 85 and released this a couple of years later. And to that end, I can't sit here and piously say it's an important piece of glam rock history because it really isn't. Um, but I like it and it's flawed in so, so many ways, but I like it and I always have liked it. Mark. And I think that actually is the only benchmark you ever need, isn't it? If you like it, you like it. Doesn't matter whether it's important, doesn't matter whether it's any good or not. If you like it, that is all that counts. Um, And I do like this album. 
I don't like it as much as I thought I liked it when it came out, if I'm being honest. But I think, you know, when you're caught up, I think that's the thing, isn't it? When you're caught up in the late 80s and you're listening to this stuff, it all sounds quite fresh because, you know, for me, looking back now, and I've written at the top of the notes that I've made about the album, this is ACDC meets Guns N' Roses for me. It's got that three-bar boogie kind of riffs going on, dirty, mean lyrics. I suspect, I've never seen Faster Pussycat live, and certainly never seen them in the club environment where they made their name, but I suspect they are a fabulous band live, and I suspect even more that that vitality and that excitement does not translate well to record. So I think what you get effectively is an album that's good fun, but nowhere near probably as much fun as it is to watch it all being done live in front of you. So I liked it. I think there are missteps all over the place, but we know that it's 1987 and you know that's what was happening in 1987. And it's big hair, big balls, big bravado, big everything. I have to say, I tired quite quickly of Tiny's voice. Yeah, it's got its it's got its flaws, but there's a lot of good stuff on this album, and I enjoyed listening to it. We didn't question it back then, Mark, did we? That was the point because we were both glam heads, and, and we we bemoaned grunge for killing off all this shit. And we didn't question it back then, did we? We just we just we were along for the ride, and the ride was often bumpy, but it was we also had a smile on our face, and you didn't actually dig too deep because when you dig too deep as we've done this week, you realise there's an awful lot of spots and blemishes and rashes all over this bloody thing. I think we kind of knew that back then as well. That's why we didn't dig very deep, because yeah. I think once you start to scrape off the veneer, the, the, the imperfections that are yeah. riddle on this album, they're all yeah. laid bare, aren't they? So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Richard, what did you think? I remember first seeing them uh, on the Decline of Western Civilization film where they were, they were interviewed um, and also there were two of the tracks off of this album on that film. I think I came to this album as I came to seeing them on that film. It, it's entertaining, but as you say, I mean, it's, yeah, it's good fun. Uh, but you can see why of you know, all of these bands that were around at that time there were those that made it huge and those that didn't. I think listening to this album again, it's fairly clear why they didn't. So the album lasts 36 minutes long. There's 10 tracks, five per side, um, side one, uh, bathroom wall, no room for emotion, cat house Babylon. And it opens with don't change that song. And in amongst the detritus and the ordinariness and the rawness and the imperfections, there are one or two moments of solid glam rock gold on this, and Don't Change That Song is very definitely one. Something between, well, Mark's mentioned ACDC and Guns and Roses. I've written Hammer Rocks and Guns Roses. You can put an awful lot of names in here. They're derivative and they're fun, and no one song typifies better quite what Faster Pussycat were like around that time. And I like this. I think it's one of those openers that, yeah, a bit punky, bit kind of that sort of 50s style guitar groove that is quite synonymous with a lot of the work they do. It's not quite a punch you in the face, but it's it's a hook. It drags you in. It's a good track. Yeah, I agree with that. It's got a lovely groove to it. It's got a great riff running through it. The bass lines, 
fabulous actually. If he was, you know, if he was a re- late replacement, that's pretty good. Yeah, loads of fun, loads of fun. You're not going to change the way people think about society through it, um, but that's not the point, is it? I don't think that was ever their intention. I think you can probably guess that that was never their intention when they employed um, Russ Mayer, the porn film director, to do the video for it, because of course the band is named after Fast and Pussycat Kill Kill, which is one of his films, wasn't it? Yeah, good film. <laughs> Richard, do you like Don't Change That Song? Yeah, it's a good kickoff. And calling cards, this is us, welcome to our world. It, it, it captures them beautifully, doesn't it? Yeah, the good riffs, the real groove to it. Yeah, I got dollops of Hanoi Rocks on this. You got Timey's sort of drawl that comes through uh, in, in this song. It, He's singing this one a little bit more normally than some of the other ones. We'll come to that. Uh, so, yeah, it's a good kickoff. Good first track. And so from Don't Change That Song, and still, and no let up to a degree, we, we go into Bathroom Wall, um, which is the best-known track on the album, that's fair to say. It was the second single, and as utterly throwaway and fun as you'd expect a track called Bathroom Wall to be. And yes, it's a song written by Tie Me Down about a hooker's number that was written on the bathroom wall while he was having a slash. We're not talking Paul Simon songwriting here. <laughs> um, musically, all pretty simple, but that's what they were. I, mean, I, I read an interview, as I said, um, with Brett Muscat, looking back on the early days, and he admitted that they could not play, that they just could not play very well. But they just had a chemistry and a look. And again, so from Don't Change That Song into Bathroom Wall, I'm in a happy place. I'm thinking this album's going to be fantastic. This is what I want from my glam rock. Yeah, I'm, I'm less less happy, probably. There's not a lot. It sounds ridiculous to say it, doesn't it? But there's not enough different stuff going on, really, for me to think, oh, yeah, that's that kind of, that's a progression. And that, you know, that it feels like they're doing something different that keeps me interested. It's a perfectly decent song. And... It's certainly better than some others. Okay. Richard? Yeah, not as good as the opener for me. Uh, I knew this song off of Decline uh, Western Civilization. It's fine. Good sing along. Good rock and roll, isn't it? Not all else to say, really. Time Me Down hasn't annoyed me quite yet. And um, there's, a, there's, a lot, there's a lot to come where he gets my goat spectacularly. I like it. I like there's a kind of. He's very influenced, I know, by bands like the New York Dolls and um, the Clash, and I and I get that here. There's a kind of lip curl, there's a kind of snarl to him a little bit. I'm getting a bit of attitude, a bit of punk attitude in a rock and roll form. I quite like it. So I think we I think we can probably all agree that um, you know, Bathroom Wall isn't quite as good as Don't Change That Song. But before you give up on the album entirely, we're back up with no room for emotion, which I thinks I thinks peachy. It opens with a kind of slightly kind of childlike guitar picking over the backbeat and it's guitar work that continues throughout the song. And I just think it's a gem. I think it's um, I think it's a little bit dreamy, a big bit cool, um, very bluesy, sitting in a chair at the end of the night with a beer in your hand. I'm getting early Aerosmith. I'm getting the Stones. I'm just chilling. I just think this is such a beautifully lazy track. And I like lazy. I like lazy in my rock. Mark, do you like lazy in your rock? Not done this way. <laughs> um, no, this doesn't do it for me, I'm afraid. I, I think it is lazy. I think, but I think it's lazy in a bad way. Yeah, you know, I get all of the kind of the you know, 
kicking back at the end of the evening. I get all of that. I just think it's done better by a lot of other people. And, you know, I've heard this song in different form, different forms so many times. Would I feel differently about it if it were at the end of the album? Probably I would. But at this point, I've gone, oh, it's a bit of a letdown. Richard, no room for emotion for you? I like it. It's drawly. I wouldn't call it lazy. It's got, that, again, that real drawl to it. It's, I like the backing vocals in it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Exactly. Um, <laughs> no, I agree in terms of order. You'd put it later on the album, really. But for me, one of the better tracks on the album. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, Richard. One of the better tracks on the album. Um, and from one of the better tracks, we moved to Cat House. It was originally called Whore House, but bear in mind that Timey Downs Club in LA is also called Cat House. So, you know, he may be many things, but he's smart. I mean, if you want a bit of unashamed advertising on your first album, stick the name of your club on it. Give him that. Yeah, this is this is a, a just a party go. We got honky tonk piano in here. We got guitar hooks. We've got uh, not a lot else. It's it's a lump of fun, a lump of fun, and it's okay. Any anyone improve on that? To my mind, it's better than no room for emotion. Um, I, I have an issue with the production on this album because I can't hear anything. You know, it's all just lost down in the bottom of the mix and. Yeah, you know, there is when you really try, you can hear that really nice honky tonk piano, but it's it's way way down in the mix. So I think the production probably lets this down a bit. And the, the problem is, the one thing you can hear, and boy, you can hear it loud and clear, is his bloody voice, isn't it? I mean, acquired taste is a, is a, is is a nice way of saying it. I mean, I, I I like it in certain songs. In certain songs, it fits, and it certainly fitted in the first three. There's there's three or four in here where he just sounds a mess. Rich? He's at the limit on this one. We'll come back to one or two later where he's over the limit. I mean, it, it, it does sound like a cat fight. Yeah, cat house. Yeah, good ball of fun. Straight ahead rock and roll. If, As you said earlier, if they were, uh, they realised they weren't massively, massively talented, but they took their chance and they lived their life, then fair play to them. But this is fairly just straight ahead rock and roll that anybody can do really yeah yeah i think that's fair fair comment absolutely fair comment and side one closes with a song called babylon when timey down was asked if the inspiration for this song was the beastie boys license to ill which had come out a year earlier he replied yeah of course like he could possibly say anything else i can forgive any band and i always have done i can forgive any band for trying to do things a little bit different and expanding their portfolio. God, that sounds pompous. Um, but I've always, always struggled to forgive Faster Pussycat for this utter dog shite. I, and I'm not saying that as a bloke in his mid-50s who would never dream of using the word cowabunga any time in my life. I said it back then as a 22-year-old, this is just so cat. I just do not like this at all. It didn't irk me as much as it has and obviously still does irk you um, <laughs> it, it's okay it doesn't really do anything for me one way or another Mark love it <laughs> love it it's my favourite song on the album 
Yeah, but seriously. Being deadly serious. I love this. It's the only song on the album where his voice doesn't annoy me. <laughs> wow. And I think I believe I pointed out at the beginning of this that liking it is the only benchmark that counts. <laughs> oh, with the wisdom of the man. Yeah. Full range there. Someone who absolutely hates it, someone who likes it, and, and I'm just in meh, whatever. No, that's fair enough, yeah. Here is a song that absolutely proves the legitimacy of what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and music divides opinions, doesn't it? And it's, <laughs> wow, that's divided them. Anyway, from, um, from Babylon to Smash Alley, if you want a mean little bass line to kick off a side of music, you got it from Eric Stacey. And I actually like Tie Me Down's voice in this song because I think it fits because it's a kind of sleazy number that his voice suited. That's my view on Smash Alley, which I like. I think it's a good song. Well, I think his his voice is is more suited to this style, isn't it? Because there's quite a lot of rockabilly in this, um, so which demands a bit more sleaze and a bit more a bit more understatement, which is what you get from him on this track. So I really like, yeah, you know, I like this. It's a, it's a highlight for me. Rich, yeah, I like the it was Peter Gunn type theme, isn't it? And yeah, as you say, the bass lines really good. His voice is okay on this for me. It, it, uh, at this stage of the album, this is when it's starting to grate <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I, I do get that. I'm just going to make a quick note that Richard got slightly cheesed off with Tie Me Down at track six. <laughs> See how long it takes him to get slightly cheesed off with Dizzy Dean Davidson. From Smash Alley, we go to Shooting You Down, um, which is, a, yeah, it's a, it's a cool bluesy tune. Love the pre-chorus in this. Yeah, chorus is weak, um, and the song kind of gets weaker as it goes on. But, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. The start's really promising. Mm. starts really, really promising, and then it uh, it doesn't really go anywhere. But I like the the, the backing vocals, save the vocals on this and i don't know you know they perhaps should have used them more throughout the album don't have a lot to add really i think it's um i think you summed it up really it starts promisingly the chorus is weak and it drifts away at the end which brings us to uh, a song i sing around the house occasionally which is city has no heart eric stacy's bass again just dancing around all over the place and the, the, the one great thing about City Has No Heart, almost a, a unique feature, is that it's, um, there's a brilliant, a really, really good breakdown into a guitar solo, which is they just haven't done that kind of conventional rock thing throughout any part of this album. Up to, I think it's a very good song. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. It's fine. It doesn't excite me particularly, but I don't dislike it. it I, I, did, I think I've probably got timey fatigue. Yeah, at this point, and, and I'm less tolerant. I think we're all there with that. There's a reason you don't play this album end to end, and and we've figured it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we talk about the production now. How much do you think better production would have improved this album? I'm not sure it would. I don't know. The songs are fairly basic, aren't they? So, so I don't know. I think. Anything, and I'm not being glib or, or, or you know, smart, smart about it. 
I think where the production, where better production could have helped the album is by taking the vocals down in the mix or bringing everything up so that it wasn't quite so in your ears. And, and I, you know, I, I have got, I, my tolerance level is now ebbing away quite quickly. I also, I also, I, I wouldn't question producer Rick Browd's focus. I'm sure his three weeks in Amigo Studios were, um, he was he was working like a bastard and doing everything above board and getting it on there and it making it perfect. But when you listen to him quoted, he just sounds like such a world weary old man. You do wonder quite if he was asked in the least. He was asked this question: What rock, what hard rock, heavy metal band should give it up and call it a day? And he said, the list is too long. But basically every metal glam band from Los Angeles who had any records in the 80s and the darkness. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. He's very bitter, but very funny. So penultimate track is one that's called Ship Rolls In. And we go from cool sleaze to some fun rock and roll. And this is yeah, this is this is this is fine. <laughs> yeah, I've just I've just written good fun. Yeah. That's where we are now. <laughs> well, nothing else to say. Yeah. Mark, can you elaborate on that? No, two words just about covers it, doesn't it? Good fun. Yeah. Um and from good fun, good fun, good fun to bottle in front of me. And unfortunately we finished the album with um a little bit of a letdown. So there's a jive rhythm and one or two decent guitar licks, and oh, it's, but it, to be honest, it's just all a bit unmemorable and a bit messy and a bit flat. So there, it's down there, joint joint bottom for me. In fact, at this point, I'd be just lifting the needle because I've just I've had enough now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done well to get this far, Rich. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've done the equivalent of lifting the needle, which is to take my headphones off and press pause. Uh, whatever the merits are of the song, he absolutely ruins it. This is the song he, with his voice, he just goes way beyond. And uh, you know, I, I, I feel you, you, you need a frontal lobotomy to, uh, to actually get any pleasure out of that song. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there you go. That, that's that's faster pussycat. An album that um, was certainly on my score sheet. Three tracks in had top twenty potential. By the end of track ten, I'm thinking bottom twenty. But anyway, we need some we need some we need some lows and we need some highs, of which there are both. Mark. So lows for me were between the bottle in front of me and I'm sorry to say no room for emotion. Um, I think if I had to choose one of them, it would be the bottle in front of me. And, yeah, I'm really sorry to say it, boys, but I love, relatively speaking, I love Babylon. thought it was really good. Rich? Yeah, bottle in front of me is is down in the drains. At the top, it's close between shooting you down and no room for emotion. Well, I mean, bottom, I, t- I can't even believe we're having the conversation. In fact, I'm not even going to say it. You know what the low is. High, yeah, I, I I love that first three. I think that's a big, big three. And of the two, don't change that song or no room for emotion. I'll give it to the opener just because it's um it's a great start to the album. It really is. So there you have it, Faster Pussycat and their debut album from 1987. 
let's keep the hairspray going. Let's keep the big hair. In fact, let's get some seriously big hair. If anyone's seen the fucking album cover, we're talking big hair. Fast forward a year, I think, to Mark and Britney Fox. Opening album sleeve notes. Yes, June the 6th, 1988, Britney Fox unleashed themselves on an unsuspecting world. The, the album cover is fantastic, fantastic for, for two reasons. One, I think it absolutely epitomises hard rock and heavy metal as it was at that point. And Steve's absolutely right. You know, we've got about, you know, we've got an ozone layer's worth of hairspray involved in the front cover. We've got some of the most ridiculous clothes. It's possible to imagine any any man, any man or woman wearing. Um, let's be honest. Um, we've got, you know, kind of calf length, knee length boots going on. I mean, it's just, it's carnage out there in hairspray heaven. But this is Britney Fox, uh, the, our debut album, self-titled debut album, recorded between 87 and uh, the summer of 88, re- released as sound June the 6th, 1988, runs about 45 minutes, um, re- produced by a gentleman called John Janston, who left the warehouse studios in Philadelphia and the House of Music in New Jersey, where this album was recorded, and hot-footed it where, Steve? Do you know? I don't, No. He hot-footed it over to this, another studio, the name of which uh, escapes me, and I, in fact, it doesn't escape me. I never knew it, and I don't care to, uh, to produce an album called Wake Me When It's Over. Well, well, well. Um, well, well, well. So there you are. Uh, the podcast has a habit of circling back on itself. So, yeah, John Jansen finished with Britney Fox and then went off and produced Faster Pussycat's second album. The, as I say, it was recorded, uh, this album was recorded in Philadelphia, New Jersey. The band at that time were, uh, in quotes, Dizzy, Dean Davidson on lead vocals and rhythm guitar. Michael Kelly Smith on lead guitars, backing vocals, also credited as a mixing assistant. Um, Michael Kelly Smith, not a bad lead guitarist, I have to say. Um, some of the solos on this album are pretty good. Billy Childs on bass and backing vocals, and then a guy called... Johnny D on drums and backing vocals, although sort of Johnny D's route to uh, the drum seat was um, slightly spinal tappish, which I'll come on to in a moment. No surprise, didn't chart in the UK. Reached number 39 in the Billboard Hot 100. Certified gold, so half a million copies. Sorry, yeah, half a million copies uh, in the United States of America. We've got 10 songs going on here, which for side one is Girls Score, Long Way to Love, Kick and Fight, Save the Week. Spoiler alert, there's no saving the week on this album. Fun in Texas. And then Side 2, Rock Revolution, Don't Hide, Goodbye to Jane, which is a slave cover in America, and Hold On. So a few kind of footnotes to the band. Formed in Philadelphia in 86 by Dean Davidson, described as a form of, and I quote, trashy Victorian glam. I mean, fuck knows what the Victorians would have made of Britney Fox. Um, the name was an apparently an homage to a Welsh ancestor of Dean Davidson's. There were three singles released off the album. Long Way to Love was the first one in 88, followed by Girls School and then the interminably awful Save the Week in 89. Long Way to Love stumbled into the Hot 100 at number 100 uh, and made uh, thir- number 33 on the US main rock chart. Girls School hit the Dizzy Heights, uh, almost as dizzy as Dean H- Davidson, Dizzy Heights of 81 in the Hot. 100 when that came out, um, and oddly enough, Save the Week sank without trace. 
at their height, um, which pretty much spans the period of this album, the follow-up, Boys in the Heat, the band opened for both Poison and Warrant in the United States. Michael Kelly Smith and original drummer Tony Destra were original members of Cinderella, going so far as to play on the demo for Shake Me. Both were fired from the band, apparently at the request of Cinderella's record label Polygram, just before Cinders went into the studio to record night songs. And if you think that's unlucky, Destra wouldn't make it onto Britney's debut either, dying in a car crash at the age of 32, just a few months before recording started. He was replaced on drums by a gentleman by the name of Adam West, whom I presume not to be the lycra-panted Batman star of the 60s, although, frankly, such is the pantomime that surrounds this band. I wouldn't be at all surprised. But West himself was fired and replaced by Johnny D to make up the recording lineup. Britney Fox is now disbanded after a couple of the obligatory attempts at reforming, but bassist Billy Childs remains the only original member to feature in all the band's various lineups. So there you have it. Britney Fox... How did you get on with it? Uh, so let's start, actually, let's start with Richard. Richard, did you, apart, I think you knew, certainly you knew one or two songs, because I'm pretty sure I played them to you back in the day, but was this the first time you heard the album as a whole? Yeah, yeah, it was. I really enjoyed it. Steve? Yeah, I've always enjoyed listening to this. I looked at the album cover and thought of two things. Well, three things, actually. First, and, and as you said, there's no debating we're talking hair metal here. I've never seen so much fucking hair on an album cover. They were probably hairier than any band out there at the time. <laughs> and second, yeah, like you, that Victor- that trashy Victorian glam. Oh, what the fuck's that about? It's like it's like they've sort of raided the heart um, costume box from the nineteen seventies, <laughs> ditched the caravan, and just gone for the clothing. And third, they looked so fucking miserable. I don't know if that was supposed to be earnest, but they just finished up looking miserable. That's not a good look. But I remember you playing this back in the day, and I bought it on the strength of that. I loved it. I've hardly played it since. Um, but I loved it at the time. And let's just say that my tolerance threshold for the lead singer has waned over the years. <laughs> yes, uh, mine also. So the album kicks off with Girls' School. And if, if you haven't already done so, it's well worth going and checking out the video, the official video for this uh, on YouTube. It's pretty typical of the kind of fodder that was around, the MTV fodder that was around. I watched this uh, for the first time in years over the last few days and just found myself thinking, God, I wish I could have gone to a school like that. Because <laughs> um, every single girl is a hot 10. Um, anyway, uh, it's got a fabulous hook line. It's got a fantastic riff running through it. It is, you listen to this, so 1988, I've got the album, I've put it on, and within about 15 seconds, I'm thinking Britney Fox are the best thing that has happened to me in 1988. <laughs> it is a big start, it's a big, big start. Yeah, um, th- that video, it's, um, I even quite fancy the teacher, I'll take any of them. Yeah, smoking in the boys' room, hot for teacher, it's of a, it's of a type, isn't it? It's that school you wish you'd gone to. Yeah, beast of a song, absolute beast of a song. I, I just wonder at what point we're going to talk about the Dizzy Dean Davidson sounds like Tom Kiefer. When are we going to have that conversation? Because it's <laughs> should we have it now? Should we have it now? <laughs> yeah. The most one of the most interesting things about doing this podcast has been the number of times we talk about vocalists who split opinion, who are, who polarize opinion, and my God, this is one. 
I remember 32, no, was it? Yeah, 32 years ago, thinking, I'm just going to ignore this because actually the rest of it is really good. I think he irritated me from the moment he opened his gob, even then. But there's so much other good stuff going on musically that you can't, you, you tolerate it, don't you? But yeah. he's not a great singer. And you're right, there, there, is, there is a bit of the Tom Kiefer about him. Tom Kiefer is a much better singer. But it's another, another vocalist who spends a lot of his time at the top of his range and outside it as well. <laughs> yeah. It is a feature of this genre of music at this point in time. It's almost as if that this is the way they had to sing, they needed to sing. What's been interesting for me with this album is my initial impressions were really good and um, his voice didn't needle me. But the more I've listened to it, <laughs> the more it has. Uh, to your point, Mark, earlier about um, Faster Pussycat, production's better on this, but still, his, again, his voice is very much to the fore. And if uh, the, the, the guitars and the rest were up a bit higher, he wouldn't be tearing the inside of your head apart. True. But that said, another good start. Another, another calling card, album one, track one. This is what we're about. It captures them pretty well, doesn't it? Okay, so uh, second track on the album is Long Way to Love, the first uh, single off the album, in fact. Again, yeah, I'm listening to this back in the day thinking... Yep, that'll do. Nice little riff, quite melodic, kind of. It's got that gallop, it's got that maiden gallop to it again, hasn't it? And you're thinking, okay, well, Dizzy's found his voice at last. Unfortunately, it didn't last. Yeah, I really like this track. It's a good track, too. Really like the really nice open guitar chords. It's a really load of body to the, to the guitar, as you say. And he's starting off quite restrained. Um, yeah, winding it, winding it back a bit. Lovely chuggy riff. The chorus, he goes for it, doesn't he? But I can forgive him on this track. Steve? No, I can't. I think the pre the pre chorus was that was the height. <laughs> he had he had no need to go further. Strong itself, as Richard says, it's fantastic. Great rhythm running through it. Again, a great tune. You just move to this. You just move to it. But yeah, no, that that voice just sounds so harsh in the chorus. So track three, and we're approaching the halfway point of side one. And this is Kick and Fight, which is, I suppose, got a, it's got more of a sort of an anthemic approach to it. Uh, it puts me in mind a little bit of Twisted Sister, actually. That sort of anthem going on around the verse and the chorus. This is one of those tracks I remember from when you introduced me to the album and um, one of the reasons I bought the album, I'm sure. It's one of those tracks that sort of thunders along and it's, probably, it's, as, it's as good as anything on the album. One of the songs that was um, co-written by by their late drummer, Tony Destra, wasn't it? So presumably it's yeah. one they'd had around for a while. Yeah, very good. And both the, both the tracks that he had a hand in were you know, at the better end of the album. Yes, I like this too. Very, very good groove to it. I think the way the guitars work together, again, the, the riffs, the chords in it, good hook line in, in terms of the vocals. Again, he's, he's stretching at certain points, isn't he? Uh, but... Uh, overall, yeah, good track, like this. Okay, track four. Oh my god, I'm not even going to talk about this to begin with. I'm going to let um, I'm going to let Steve talk about this. 
mate, there's nothing to say. It's it's utterly abject. It's just a, a just a real dirge of a tune. The ideas, cack, children starving and lonely, no place to go. I really feel that there's hope. Oh fuck off. Disney's gone a bit. His voice, to be fair, he's less Tom Keeper, more Paul Stanley. But the whole thing is a train crash. <laughs> Richard, uh, it's a yeah. It's, it's not a great song. I don't think I despise it as much as you two do. It feels enormously out of place with the yeah, the other tracks on this album. And uh, looking at them all, trying to look you know, big head and mean on the cover. If you if you had a gave somebody you'd never heard any of it before to match the uh, photos to tracks, I don't <laughs> think anyone would link these two together. It's a weak song, but I I can leave it on. I can forgive him a ballad. Any self respecting eighties glam band should do a ballad. The interesting thing about Fast the Pussycat there wasn't one on the album. I don't mind a ballad being on this album at all. Every glam band should do a ballad. And a lot of them are good, and an awful lot of them are crap. But there are levels of crap, and this is this is wolf, Mark. This is execrable. It's absolutely appalling. So, what is it? Is it the, is it the if you changed the the words? So, if you change the words, you had a different chord structure, and you maybe did something with the guitars and the drums, and maybe made them better. And maybe did the same with the bass and then maybe put a different vocalist in. I think it'd be a really good song. Also, at the point where Tom Keith, um, Dizzy says, is about to write the lyric, I feel bad, I feel sad, let's lend a hand, just go, oi, Dizzy, no. write something else. Yeah. I, I think it's a ballad for the sake of putting a ballad on an album. Yeah. Joking aside, the issue I, the big issue I have with this track is I don't think it's from the heart. I don't think it's an honest song. I think they've gone, let's write, let's write and let's write a ballad and let's make it like let's make it current, let's make it relevant, everybody, because then we'll get some sales. I just think I think it's entirely contrived. That that's my issue with it. Brittany Fox does children in need. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Shall we shall we have some fun in Texas? So side one, and actually I think this is a better album on side two than it is on side one. Side one ends with Fun in Texas, which has got a bit of a deep south start to it. Nice little acoustic blues guitar. And then there's a very large-breasted woman on uh, on the video for it, which is fine by me. And we're about to head into another Britney Fox riff and more Dizzy Dean Davidson. As soon as, as soon as I clap eyes on a song that involves the word Texas, you know where I'm. You know what I'm thinking, and it has to compare. If you're not blind in Texas. There's no point in being in Texas. I there? know, I know, I know. This isn't blind in Texas. This is fun in Texas, and it's good. It's a it's a dollop of party rock with a with a good riff. It's not big and it's not clever, and it's yeah fun. The other. Um... Important thing is, uh, you know, if you're going to do a song about Texas, you need some kind of slidey steel guitar at the beginning just to let everybody know where you are. Geographically. <laughs> yeah. So we've got to get that. That's fine. But the it's like the start. It's got a good build to it. His voice in the in the in the verse. 
I mean, it's almost, yeah, it's kind of almost Paul Stanley, even Gene Simmons level. So it shows actually he's got quite a good range. Why doesn't he sing more songs at this in this area? It sounds good. It sounds balanced. Yeah. And the irony of it is Dean Davidson wrote all the songs. Yeah. So why didn't he write them for himself in a way that best showed off his voice? What I did get from reading up on Britney Foss is it certainly doesn't seem like the happiest ship. Dizzy Dean was um, was something of an autocrat, wasn't he? He was um, it was his band very much. So you, you said about him writing all the songs. I think his name's through this like a stick of rock, isn't it? And, and when it all started going belly up, he just walked. Okay, so everybody now get your dictionaries out, open it to the letter A, find the word anthem. And you will see a picture of Brittany Fox, Rock Revolution, next to it. This has got, honestly, I, I, I love this track. I think it's really good. It's got a fantastic hook line. It's got a great riff going through it. I just, oh, yeah, love it. What about you two? I agree. This is nine and a half out of ten on any normal measure. It gets eight and a half on this measure because we know why. Because he's almost fucking it up. But tune-wise, I, I just adore this song. It's, it's the best tune on the album. I don't know whether Dizzy's straining or not, but it doesn't help, and it's a massive shame because this is a fantastic rocker. As I was saying to you earlier, this track I remember vividly from the first time we played this, and I'd have, I'd have loved it. And I still like it now, an awful lot. Richard? You asked me earlier the point at which his voice started to cheese me off. It's also track six. Of this, <laughs> this song starts it off so well, and he completely ruins it. He completely, I, I've docked him a couple of marks at least because he absolutely oh, spoils it. He just, I tell you what, I'm just gonna sing like this all the time. That's very good. Man of contract. <laughs> Okay, so tracks two, side two, is uh, Don't Hide, which is slightly less obvious, slightly less in your face. It's got a nice opening little uh, guitar line, which kind of builds in the way that so much hair metal does back in the day. Um, It's all right, this. It's probably not going to make a Spotify playlist, but I'm not going to lift the needle for it either. Benefits from a really great foot-tapping outro as well, it, it, which kind of drips cool, which they don't do a lot of. Normally, they're just sort of big stop finishes. This is, this doesn't. It's great. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, the singing knocks points off it yet again. It's, yeah. good, it's a good tune. Yet, a, yet another good tune. They could write some tunes. He could write some tunes. Shame he couldn't sing. Yeah, I'm not, I've had enough of him now. Hmm. <laughs> On the positives, they start songs so well. Yeah, the, the the brilliant start to this again and the build and and the again lovely long long chords in, in this in this really coasts is coast the right word it, it got some you know, real nice drive but again it just spoils it. So, Brittany Fox, three tracks into side two, have taken a quick sideways glance at Quiet Riot, gone. Do you know what? They had a really big hit, didn't they? We'd come on, feel the noise. So we're going to do the same thing. We're going to take a Slade song and we're going to not do anything with it. 
other than repeat it. <laughs> it it's it's not quite save the week, but it's not good. No, as soon as I saw this on the on the listings and what you know about Brittany Fox, I did fear that um this would be quite an average cover. And and my fears were realised. Slade weren't a big deal in America, were they? So I presumed you could have got away with this and, you know, I mean, not as an original, clearly it's a cover, but they could have done something with it. And I've always thought that with covers. Why don't bands do things with songs? You know, where's your where's your Megadeth and Boots? Why aren't, why aren't any of these bands doing anything? Really? Why, why aren't they Van Halen and these, these songs? You know, this is just wearying. In Slade's hands, it was a great song, so I don't need to hear it done by someone else. But I, I was literally just about to say, if you're going to do the, a cover of a Slade song, you need to do it better than Slade. And they yeah. don't. Therefore, it's not a great cover, is it? No, no. Or differently. Differently would do. It doesn't have to be better, just differently. Yes. Richard? Nothing else to say. It's If you're going to do it, do it in a completely different way. I mean, this, just, this is just a, a substandard Slade covers band. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you're going to do an album and you're trying to be big in your own country, I think a bit of good old-fashioned jingoism stroke patriotism is a good way to go. So, And so do Britney Fox. Do so they come up with, in America, cue large-breasted cheerleaders in the video? Don't knock it. This is really good. Yeah, no, I like this a lot. I, I do like that nice chugging rip. And, yeah. Resting videos, no, no problem at all. And there's, and, and also there's a fantastic hook um, towards the back end of this last thirty seconds or so, quite down in the mix because it's been produced so badly, relatively badly. Um, but it, um, yeah, drives the song along to a to a good finish. The boys dot 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 dot. See the comments I made, you know, many many times earlier. Nah, no. Nah. I mean, it, it's interesting that this is the second time where you two have judged a song uh, based on the size of the breasts in the video, which I obviously I have no problem with. If that's what you, the first thing you need to say about a song. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, yeah, they're trying to jump on the patriotic bandwagon as much as they were trying to jump on the caring bandwagon. Uh, in, on Save the Week, and, and there are there are similarities. I mean, the, the lyrics of this, in America, the home of the free, the strong and the weak. In America, a young child's heart, just give them a start. God, they're, they're caring band, aren't they? A rubbish. I'm with you. I'm with you, Richard. Uh, I think it's dreadful. The only good thing about it is the riff. Luckily, we go out on a high. There are three, I think, standout tracks on this album. Girls' School, Rock Revolution, and Hold On, which is the final track on the album. Great riff, great hook line. Love it. Nothing wrong with this track at all as far as I'm concerned. No, and I also clocked the the, um, the the backing vocals always seem slightly more subdued on this as well, and that done half help. Um, that they kind of let you, you can kind of hear the song and hear it evolve and good pace. And it's, um, yeah, good finisher. Very good finisher. Given it's been a, a mixed bag up to then, you do fear some sort of horror show finish. But no, haven't got it. It's good. Leave you on a high. They rescue it a bit, don't they? Good riffs. Really nice driving bass and drums in this. Again, love the rip, ringing chords at the beginning of it. 
yeah, his voice, we've said enough about that. It could again have been a, a really, really good track had he reined it in. But not a, not a bad finish, not a bad finish at all. So there you go, that's uh, Brittany Fox, Done and Dusted, 1988. The second of our hair metal bands for the evening. Highs and lows, boys. Um, Richard, start with you. Yeah, d- despite me not despising it as much <laughs> as you two, Save the Week is still my low. <laughs> and high-wise, I'll give it to Long Way to Love. Okay, Steve? Yeah, the second time in two albums. I don't even need to say the words for the for the low, do I? And I won't say it. I'm just not going to say it, okay? Uh, I love Rock Revolution and I love Kick and Fight. And if you wanted me to choose, which I'm guessing by the tone of the question you do, I'd say Rock Revolution. Okay. Uh, well, I think it's a hat trick for the low. I'm going to go with Girls' School. I could have gone with Rock Revolution. could have gone with Hold On. But I just think because it was the opening song and it kind of laid down a marker, I'll give it to Girl School. What I would say is patchy as hell, though this album is. Every time I hear it, it puts a smile on my face. And in the end, isn't that what it's about? Okay, there we go. Two down, one to go. We've had the cat, we've had the fox. It's time for the Jackal Richards. Opening album sleeve notes. Yes, a jackal from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, So we move to 1992 for Jackal's debut album. Uh, They formed in 1990 and they built a pretty strong following just because of their live uh, act. It's worth checking out some of their videos on, on YouTube if you want to see what they're like as a live band. But on the strength of that, they were signed uh, to Geffen uh, Records. And in uh, 1992, they released Jackal. It was produced by Brendan O'Brien. Brendan's worked with so many different people. So, I mean, getting him in to produce this, obviously they felt that uh, that Jackal were going to go somewhere uh, pretty fast. Uh, they, uh, I mean, the album actually sold more than a million in, um, in the US uh, eventually. So it was recorded sometime in 1992 and released on August the 11th. Um, didn't do much in the UK charts, but as I say, platinum in the US. And in terms of personnel, Jesse James Dupre is Dupre is on uh, vocals and um, an, an instrument I don't think we've featured on the podcast that, thus far, which is the chainsaw. We'll come back to that. Uh, Jimmy Stiff on guitars, Jeff Worley on guitars, Thomas Bettini on bass, and Chris Worley on drums. They had to be a clean version of the album because uh, the last uh, track, which I'll mention in a minute, was omitted due to various uh, protests. Kmart refused to stock the album, so Jackal uh, uh, jumped on top of a 40-foot truck flatbed trailer and then did an impromptu gig uh, out the front of a a Kmart. So they um, they, they weren't averse to uh, shaking it up uh, a little bit. Uh, what is it? I mean, it's it's a it's good hard southern metal, I would say. Gents, how did you find that? I found it a lot of fun. Yeah, I was trying to think. I've I've kind of called it Dixie metal. It's a kind of southern rock, quite bluesy, fair bit of rock and roll, but with that kind of this is ninety two, that nasty sleazy Guns and Roses edge. It was it's that sort of. Um, vocally, we'll talk about Jesse James Dupree, but on an episode where he's up against Tie Me Down and uh, Dizzy Dean Davidson. We're talking Sinatra. 
aren't we? So, um, but honestly, I didn't know this album at all before we listened to it, and um, it's been a great listen. Yeah, really, really good fun, Mark. Well, you say it's it's Dixie metal. It's not just Dixie metal, is it? It's also pussy metal, titty metal. I mean, you know, think of any kind of part of your genitalia, and that's pretty much covered on the whole album. Yeah. I think it's great. I heard this album the first time. My brother worked for MCA, which at the time owned Geffen, so he used to bung quite a few freebies, particularly the stuff nobody ever heard of, which Jackal pretty much fell into at this time. I gave it, I think, a cursory listen, thought, yeah, it's all right, and then promptly kind of moved on, largely because there was an awful lot going on at the time, wasn't there anyway? So, yeah, I really liked it. It was really good. Um, I say really liked it. That sounds like a damning it with faint praise. I had a really good time with it. Good choice. Good choice. I was trying to think on the um, on the innuendo scale, it's, um, you know, well past Kiss and ACDC and on the way to Wasp on that particular spectrum, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, uh, other, if it weren't for the fact that Wasp had Animal, I think it would out Wasp Wasp. <laughs> yeah. yeah, subtle it ain't. They made a thing of it. That's I mean, and again, their live shows, their whole attitude is is this is us. You can like it or fuck off, basically. So the album starts with I Stand Alone, which I think is a corking start isn't it i mean just real great riffs there's an acdc backline here isn't there an absolute i think we'll have a few acdc references as we go through this and then jesse james you pray straight in in terms of how he's going to sing the rest of this album I, th- I think it's a very strong start i was really pleasantly surprised when this started the album yeah me too delicious riff on it i don't mind his vocals tie me down pissed me off by the end of that album and Dizzy Dean pissed me off by the end of his. I didn't get pissed off with the vocals here. Fair enough. I wasn't asking you to get pissed off. I just don't think it's a masterclass vocally. It's spot on for the band. Oh, fits like a glove, his voice with this. Um, and there's so much theatre in what he does vocally as well as, you know, live and everything. I mean, I've seen the video for this. I presume you boys have seen the video when they're out. They're actually outside the Kmart store, aren't they? Presumably the Kmart store, which wouldn't sell their albums, I'm guessing. And yeah, this is this is a fun track, you know, big gaps and, and big riff and bounces along. Uh, great intro to the album. Straight into a song called Dirty Little Mind. Uh, took me a while to work out what this was about. <laughs> Song-wise, super duper bass line again. Uh, very upbeat. I mean, real, a real jumpy song. <laughs> Uh, yeah, check out the videos on YouTube with this one. It's nice. Yes. Yeah. You're thinking about this is 1992. We know what's going on in the rock world musically in 1992. It's like Jacko said, oh, fuck that. Yeah, the, 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 world, the world might be miserable to all of them, but fuck that. We're going to have a laugh. And, and sod grunge, we're just, we're just going out there to rock. And um, this is just beautifully simple and fantastic stomp along rock. Do you think it's that, Steve, or do you just think that it's still 1983 in the Everglades? Yes, I know. That's where they are, isn't it? I'm ashamed yeah. of them. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really bouncy, this. It's different. Yeah. They're on my bucket list. I'd love to see them live. <laughs> yeah, great first couple of tracks. So track three is Down On Me. 
I think it's where, yeah, after the first couple of jumpy starts, it just settles into a bit of a groove with this third track. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed the first two tracks for what they are, which is cabaret metal, isn't it? Now, you know, forget the aren't we just so raunchy bollocks. Now let's now now let's play our music with with a serious piece of of rock. This is a this is a belter. This is a great tune. It's kind of like a musical car crash between the Kinks, Blackfoot, and Guns and Roses, and it's um <laughs> yes, it's a top 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 song. That is just the perfect description of them. That is exactly what it is. It's it's almost out of left field because you're expecting it to go in, now to go in a particular direction, the album, aren't you? And it doesn't. Suddenly takes a left turn, presumably at a red light, and kind of cracks on, doesn't it? I think it's clever. I like the way they do that. Yeah. I think that's, that's not an obvious thing to do. You know, they could easily have persevered with tracks one and two and fill the album with it. Interestingly, of all the... Um, I think there were five singles released off this album. This charted best, and I, and I, and I get that completely. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really, really catch. It's a radio tune. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, and then for track four, yeah, it changes again. I think this fourth track, When Will It Rain, is fantastic. It's slower. Again, another really good riff. I love the beat changes on the drums. It reminds me of a Queensryche song, end of a Queensryche song off of Empire called uh, One and Only. It's got a superb groove to it. Straight from one belter to another, because, as I say, I love Down On Me, and this is phenomenal. And have you seen the video? You must have seen the video. No, didn't see this oh. one. Oh, boys. It's, it's just, it's so, it's so them. It's so classless and so much fun. They're in prison. They're in prison. It's hot, obviously. And they're playing, and they can, you can play your instruments in prison when you're a rock band. So they're behind bars, but you can play. But they're out on the chain gang. So they're going out and breaking rocks on a railway under a hot Georgian sun or whatever. And the only other thing that is in this video, while they're on the chain gang, while there's guards there armed, funnily, emerging from nowhere out of left field, is a girl with massive boobs washing a car. Um, So anyway, there's their distraction. The guards are distracted and the boys make a bolt for it. It's just, you know, how good is this? And I won't spoil the ending. Go watch. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so were they combining were they combining the video for for this with the video for down on me because obviously it was big sun wasn't it and yeah yeah there's a theme running through this band isn't it i think i think we've latched onto that but joking aside they are far better musicians than the look and the name of the band and the song content would suggest, aren't they? They are really, really tight. Okay, and the next to the last track on side one is Redneck Punk, uh, which, yeah, is pretty punky. Very big change in tempo again. Very straight ahead, fast. Not much else to say about it, really. I think it's it's one of their earlier numbers, isn't it? Because it was co-written by the band's original singer, Ronnie Honeycutt. So I'm, I'm thinking they've just... This is an early demo. They've not done an awful lot of polishing of it, and um, that's what you've got. It, it's bouncy. It's um, it's all right. You know, it's not a particularly strong side closer. You're not going to take the needle off the record, are you? No. Okay, so to close side one, the lumberjack, where Jesse James Dupree picks up the aforementioned chainsaw. As a piece of guitar-y kind of, I don't know, percussion, does a chainsaw solo in the middle. 
this is a straight ahead blues rock. I mean, the easiest way I've got to describe this is this is ACDC's The Jack. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And for that reason, the chainsaw saves it because otherwise it would just be a piece of derivative ACDC fodder, wouldn't it? Switch it up a bit, shove a chainsaw in there, which is really clever. And uh, yeah, and, and you kind of brings a smile to your face, doesn't it? That's all. I'm not sure it's really clever, Mark. I'm not sure it's really clever. I just think it's slightly different. How many chainsaw solos have you heard? You know, you know funny enough, I've not heard many, and I don't feel like I've missed out because of that, <laughs> if I'm honest. Although what I would say, credit to him, and it's shit. It's, well, it's not shit. The song's not shit. The song's just a bit naff. He can actually get a kind of tune out of this bloody thing, can't he? You know, there's a, there's a rhythm to it. I mean, that's quite clever. And I've seen him do it on stage, and he looks pissed. And that's quite a dangerous game. I mean, I've, I've, I've done hedge trimming with a beer inside me, but this is, um, wow, yeah. And I think when he drinks, he drinks. To that end, it's merely interesting. It's not clever, it's just interesting. Yeah. Agreed, agreed. It's interesting, not clever. I mean, it, it's novelty, isn't it? It's a very interesting and dangerous novelty, because it's a safety. The, the, the chainsaw really waves around on stage isn't some little thing you get down in oh. queue, is it? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. You wouldn't want to be front row when that's come out. Put it that way. So side two starts with track seven, Reach for Me. Really like the start on this, with the, the, again, the bass riffs, the dual guitars come in, and uh, it nice builds, and then, and then the riff appears. This sort of southern metal. This, this, is, this isn't southern rock, is it? This is southern metal. And it's a, yeah, good, good song. Good start to the second side, I think. Yeah, I agree. I th- this is another earlier one, I think, because, I, again, I noticed it was written by Dupree with John Red Devil Hayes, and the two of them had been in, a, in an Atlanta band before this called PG-13. I've, I know, I've no, no idea who they are or who they were, um, so I'm guessing this was written a couple of years before this album came out. Yeah, it's, it's as close to a straight-down-the-line rocker as they do, isn't it? Yeah. But there's, a couple of no- there's some nice twists in it. Nice and hooky. It's got a really sing-along chorus to it, isn't it? And- this kind of climbed into my ear and stayed there for a while. Yeah, it's good. Okay, track eight is Back Off Brother. Felt a bit of an inferior repeat of Down On Me for me personally. Uh, it, it's more sort of, sort of solid, traditional, um, fairly one-dimensional. But one of the weaker tracks on the album, I felt. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's nothing remarkable, is it? It just, just washes over you and it's gone without leaving much of a mark. There was a back of brothers followed by Brain Drain, which to me had a had got a very almost earlier Aerosmith kind of start uh, with the bass, uh, but then it it kicks off really nicely. But I, the thing I liked about this song was how the bass riff just carries the entire thing all the way through. I've already got a lot to say about it. It's all right. It's kind of in the middle of the in terms of highs and lows. It's not near the bottom. It's not near the top. Like you, Rich, that bass line, because it's prominent in parts, isn't it? But it, as you say, then I'll drive it through. Um, yeah, a bit of a thunder of this. I really like it. And it's a homage to very strong alcohol, which is apparently called Brain Drain. So 95% proof. Banned in some states, surprisingly. Who'd have thought? Um, Christ alive. I hope he's not drinking that while he's playing with his chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Brain Drain's followed by the... 
Next to last track on the whole album, Just Like a Devil. So again, the really good bass in this as well for me. I like the build on the guitars. Um, yeah, good. I mean, a bit like the last one, I suppose. Yeah, kind of good, strong song. Not the best on the album, but thoroughly enjoyable. The way it started, which is slightly different to any way they started any other track before, I was, I was kind of thinking for a split second there might be something different around the corner, but not really. That's kind of not their not their not their method, is it? So ultimately, you just got another piece of straight ahead rock and roll. Yeah, um, who's this remind? It reminds me of something, and I can't put my finger on it. It's when he goes into the into the chorus. I just think, oh God, that is just. I've heard this. I've heard this track before, not by Jackal. You know what I mean? It's one yeah, of those. That chorus hook. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's all right. It's all right. Okay, so Jackal's debut album finishes with "She Loves My Cock." <sighs> Well, it's for all the words. I mean, again, it's a very, very ACDC riff. I mean, it does sound like he is channeling his inner Bon Scott on this one, isn't it? it, it for me, it's okay. Again, it, it's novelty. I don't think the quality of the riffing and the song makes it into a, a great song. And uh, it's pretty clear what he's singing about. <laughs> yeah, uh, you figured it out. Okay, well done. Um, yeah, no, I, I actually really like. I do like this riff. I know it is simple. I know it could be straight out of the ACDC reject handbook. I absolutely accept that. But I think this is a really good tune. I do like that riff, and I love that kind of beefy chorus and the harmonies and the vocals. It's just a thumper. That's one name for it. <laughs> it's it's ruder than down and dirty. I'll give it that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this is good fun. Yeah, it's, you're not gonna you're not gonna end wars or or solve the problem of poverty with it, but it's but it's good fun. Yeah. It is good. Yeah, it's gonna put a big smile on your face, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so highs and lows, gents. Steve. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Listen, this whole album puts a smile on your face. I think it's it's that sort of album. Weak point for me was probably back off, brother, but not by much. Um, the two I really, really like are, are Down On Me and When Will It Rain? And I'll give them the same mark. Um, but if you want to put, pin me down, uh, Down On Me. So I, I went back off Brother as the, the low point. But to be honest, I, I I think the album never really quite stands up to the tie, to the opening track. I think I Stand Alone was just set their stall out. And, yeah, mm-hmm. nothing... I say nothing felt much shorter than that. I mean, it did. But overall, I thought this was a really good album. Mm. Three out of three for our weaker track, uh, Back of Brother, yeah, same for me. And for me, When Will It Rain just shaves it as the, as the strongest. So there we go. We've had three four-legged friends uh, for this episode. Started off with Faster Pussycat, then Brittany Fox, and now Jackal. So we'd uh, better kennel these creatures up and go and score them. Reviews complete. Initializing rating process. Right, so we've listened to and marked the three eponymously titled albums from Faster Pussycat, Britney Fox and Jackal, uh, and the scores on the doors are thus. 
Past the Pussycat, Rich gave it 6.25, I gave it 6.55, Mark gave it 6.89 for an overall score of 6.56 and a bit. And my overriding impression of the album is I still love it. Yeah, and I think, Steve, I feel pretty much the same way about Britney Fox. Uh, it didn't fare too well, but I still love it, still brings big smiles on my face. So um, you actually, Steve, like this album more than I did. So you gave it a 6.7. I gave it a 6.6, and Richard, you were the least fussed about this of the three of us. You gave it a 6.55, but you could get a, you can't get a Nats bollock between our scores. It came home with an average of 6.64. So uh, do you want to talk us through Jackal? Steve gave it a 6.95, and uh, even though we scored pretty much every track differently, somehow Mark <laughs> and I have come up with the identical score to five decimal places of 7.18182. Uh, and that gives uh, Jackal an overall score of just a tiny bit over 7.1. So let's see uh, where that lands these albums up in the Hall of Fame. Uh, so we'll head on over there. It's time to put the rock in a hard place. Opening the Hall of Fame. Okay, so as you said... Um, Richard and I think you both said none of these albums were ever going to challenge the top half of this list that now runs to 87 albums. I'm quite surprised, I suppose, that two of them fall into the bottom 10 on the list, and those are Faster Pussycat, which comes in at number 80, and immediately uh, above it is Britney Fox. Britney Fox at 79. Um, and they are sandwiched between Melissa above them and Uriah Heep's Look at Yourself below them. Jackal's album, um, fared a little better, comes in at 65 above Suicidal Tendencies and just below Nazareth's Hair of the Dog. Yeah, that I think, on balance, that's probably lower than I expected all three of these albums to be, but, you know, it is what it is. The, the scores say it all, don't they, really? I mean, if, if Britney Fox hadn't recorded Save the Week, it would have been a lot higher, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. And I think we're all pretty much agreed that Save the Week was unsavable. <laughs> and weak. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do we give it? A, a three, a three, and a four and a half. So that, that, that really did damage it. But I wonder whether we ought to have had, I don't know, a fun factor score. Because in the end, Britney Fox is way down the list. But... There is, I would play it ahead of some of the ones above it. The ones above it just happen to be better albums yeah. by the definition we've chosen to give it. So, you know, go figure. We're not saying you shouldn't go and listen to some of this stuff. I think that all, all three of these albums this week, this episode, have been really, really good fun. All three of them put a big smile in your face. Yeah, yeah. So there we are. Another week done and dusted of the Enter Sad Men podcast we'll be back again next time with another three albums for, for now thanks for your company i hope you enjoyed it we've certainly enjoyed our week and we're looking forward to the next one uh, boys we need to um, head out the door and go and see what uh, the tico toys tombola of topics and themes throws at us this week um so we'll see you all next time cheers all music clips featured in the Enter Sad Men podcast appear within the context of criticism and or commentary, and as such are used under the fair use provisions of the exceptions to copyright rules of UK and international copyright law. To make sure the rock rolls forever on, 
Mark, Steve, and Rich urge all their listeners to show their love and support for the artists and writers featured on the show by purchasing the original music or subscribing to a licensed and regulated streaming service.